Carola Nitz is a seasoned engineer who has been involved in a variety of complex projects, from VLC to Apple Maps, and now working on Netflix on their iOS app experience. She also started her career by learning medical computer science. What a way to jump in! In this episode, we're learning about her career, what helped her be successful, and how she thinks about the importance of jumps between projects and companies. Enjoy the show. Welcome, folks. It's a Monday for a good recording of another episode of the Work Item Podcast. And today I have Carola Nitz. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. So we'll start with probably a question that is on people's minds. Tell us more about what you're doing these days. Well, right now I'm a senior software engineer at Netflix. So if you ever use the iPhone app of Netflix, um, you probably touched something that I worked on. <laughs> that is very exciting because I know that my entire family uses Netflix and uh, most of them are on iOS apps. Uh, but instead of kind of diving deep into iOS just yet, uh, let's talk more about your career. Tell us more about how you started your career in software engineering. So actually, that was an accident. <laughs> Mostly, I wanted to study medicine, but my grades weren't that great. So I didn't qualify for that. So instead, a friend suggested, why don't you go into medical computer science? And maybe you can then switch over. And I was like, that sounds good. I'm just going to try out medical computer science. And if it doesn't work out, I can still switch fields later on. But um, yeah, I didn't really figure out what else I could do. So I just stuck with it, even though like, I didn't really like it at first. I always had this image in my head of like software engineers being in a cellar and like, you know, in front of the computer all day. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? So oh, yeah. Like, I don't want to yeah. be one of those people. But um, then while I was studying, I got a job at Nick Software, which um, was just right next to the campus. Some of my colleagues worked there as well. They built something um, called Snapseed that, that people might know, like it's a photo editing um, application. And it was later acquired by Google. So there I worked on the Mac app. And from that, from there, it wasn't like a big step to iPhone development anymore. So. I really, really got excited about that, man. Like getting over into mobile development and being able to have whatever you build, like just in your pocket and being able to like just show it to people, right? That was for me such an incredible thing. So yeah, that's how I started out. Medical computer science. That is something that <laughs> yeah. you don't hear. I, I, actually, I think this is the first time on this podcast where I hear anybody bring up medical computer science because most folks think either... You go into computer science, computer engineering, you go into things that are adjacent to that, like web design, medical computer science, it seems very specialized, like very specialized. <laughs> yeah, but it is basically everything that is between um, yeah, the medical system and just computers, right? So I learned about hospital systems. I learned about digital signal processing, like how do you get an image out of an MRI and out of a CT? So it was great. And actually, like my thesis was to show patient data on an iPhone. So it's super interesting and a very, very um, technical field. The theme that I'm hearing here is mobile development. And you kind of mentioned the fact that it's the wonders of having things in your pocket doing magical things with software. But what else drew you to mobile being the focus of what you're doing? Because it's, uh, again, a very 
you know, if we look back, uh, you know, a decade ago or more than a decade ago now when the first iPhone came out, uh, people were kind of very confused about it. They're like, yeah, whatever, mobile development. We had like Java, Java 2, like Java ME and all that stuff. What led you to to this career? I guess like it was really just like, I really liked having something in my pocket and it was very new at the time. So I studied 2005 to 2012 and like 2009, the iPhone just came out, but it still took like a year or two until it was really available for third party developers to develop for it. And I was like, oh, there's this new shiny thing. And I just like jumped on it and I realized it really was a niche at the time. Like my job didn't exist when I started studying computer science. Like there weren't any mobile device developers, like because there weren't any mobile devices yet to build apps for. So I was just excited about this new field and just wanted to learn everything about it. Also, there wasn't yet that much out there to learn. So it was really like, yeah, cutting edge software development at the time for me. I like the statement that you just made about the job did not exist when you were studying because this is one of the... I want to, well, I want to say it's a misconception of folks going to computer science and think I'm going to be a, you know, like an ML engineer. I'm going to be a games engineer. I'm going to work at this company. And the reality is like, you might be working on something that just does not yet exist. Like quantum computers, whatever. Mobile development is a good example, right? Like if you talk to somebody in 2007 and, you're, you know, you're going to tell them you're going to be professionally working as a mobile developer at one of the biggest streaming services in the world. Who knew? Yep. Right? Like, who would have predicted that? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting area. But also to me, you know, mobile space seems to be very saturated. Right? Like, open the App Store page, and uh, there's a lot of apps. There's a lot of games. There's a lot of all sorts of things uh, being published daily. Um, for somebody that wants to break into this field, how do they over overcome this I want to say not necessarily fear, but more of like concern of like, well, I'm not going to stand out because there's like millions of apps already. Why, why bother? Oh yeah. There are many apps out there. Um, but you usually have a very unique perspective of how an app should work and you bring something to the table that is just going to make this product so much better. I mean, I remember actually one app that I worked on, it was like a flea market app. And there were so many co competitors out there. But then there was this one app that came on the market and just revolutionized it in a way and just had this one feature that just made it so much better. And I think you can do the same thing when you bring out your app. You're just going to add to the market and maybe bring that new incredible app out that everybody wants to use. So the, the incremental improvements that can inspire you to do these things... Tell us more about the, the flea market app. Now I'm curious. This is something that <laughs> I have, you know, again, seems very specialized to a very niche audience. How did that come about to be? Uh, yeah. So right when I was done with my studies, I worked three years at Nick Software, right? And then I was like, ah, oh, I want to try something else. So I went over to um, a startup that only existed for three months. So... <laughs> Then I went to the next startup and it was like an incubator and they went bankrupt after three months. But one of those apps that came out of that was um, called Stuffle, which was like a flea market app. And I was like, okay, I'm going to join them. I know they have Runway and they had a really great senior software engineer. So it's like, I'm going to stick with them and like learn a lot about development back then. And yeah, it was really, really great and interesting because we had to build a messaging system. We had to do payment integrations. So it was just a great job just to to learn all of the basics about mobile development. Have you 
just experienced any kind of concerns with going with a startup versus a more established company from your experience? Because I I remember making that decision and it's hard. It is hard to give up kind of the possibility of working at one of the, the FANG versus smaller company that you're very uncertain about its future. Yeah, honestly, I am super lucky that I started out with startups. Like even Nick Software was only like a company with like, 60, 70 people. So I didn't get all of these perks that you get at the big companies and the like, um, yeah, these securities, I guess, that your company doesn't go bankrupt when you join a fan company. But um, it is really nice if you're at a startup because you get to see everything from the beginning to the start. You hear about everything that is going on on the marketing side, on the sales side. So I really, really love that. But I'm really happy that I got to see that first where I had to negotiate about like, hey, can I like, please get the new iPhone and like, okay, maybe we cannot afford a laptop right now. I'm going to take my own one and use that for development, you know, <laughs> um, especially in Europe, it's a whole different scene um, than it is out here in the Silicon Valley. And I'm definitely happy now to be over here working for the big, big ones. <laughs> Is definitely a little bit of a different kind of stability because a hundred percent. This is the the part about when you work in a big company asking for like I need a new laptop or a new phone. Like yeah, sure, whatever. File an expense report. Like no no big deal. At a startup, not so much. But all of it makes sense. And you know, talking to you and uh, before we had this conversation, I kind of had to kind of go through the the history of your uh, your work and the stuff that you've built. And you have this very diverse set of experiences, right? Like you worked at VLC, you worked at Apple Maps, and now Netflix. What draws you to this kind of? I I want to say it's it's a very different field, one from the other. Well, compared, I guess VLC to Netflix, it's it's video, uh, but Apple Maps, I mean, it's all mobile, but still, there's a lot of differences between those. What led you to these kind of transitions? So my interest was always kind of more video. Like I, I've done VLC even when I was working at the um, Z Market app um, company. But my decisions weren't always just driven by my interests. It was more about, okay, which place can I go to where I will learn the most? You know, where do I have great mentors? Um, where will I actually accelerate in my career? So that let me from the flea market app to go to what I perceived as the best consulting company in Berlin, evenly. Um, well, back at the time it was called Next Big Thing. But I knew that they had just incredible engineers and a couple of them already left for Silicon Valley. And I was like, okay, if my ultimate goal is to be in Silicon Valley, they will probably prepare me the best. So I went there for a year and afterwards I applied for jobs in the Silicon Valley and obviously holy grail for mobile developers or like for an iOS developer at least is to work at Apple, right? It's like, go to the company that builds the iPhone, that builds iOS that I use every day. So I applied there and I got a job on the maps team and I was surrounded by what I perceived as like the best of the best. And that's why I chose that. Um, but I also realized, okay, Apple, very, very corporate company. And as you mentioned, I worked on VLC, which is open source. And I've also done, do something like this here, like being on a podcast or just, you know, speaking at conferences. And these are little things that I realized, like, I cannot do anymore at Apple. So at that point, I was like, okay, I'm actually going back to Europe. I work 
for VLC then actually paid for the consulting company behind it. Um, very startup-y again. And like, I only had another colleague and I was like, oh, I actually miss a little bit the corporate environment. And so I went to Netflix and it was for me a little bit of like this Goldilocks thing where I was like, this is a little bit too corporate. This is too startup-y. And like Netflix is just right because you still have that like, startup environment but like in a big corporation so yeah that's a wonderful combination because you don't you don't hear much about that you hear a lot of the companies being on either side either you're very startup-y where you're moving fast and working weekends or you're very corporate-y where you know the the things that you do are not immediately visible right because the co biggest complaint that i hear from people that work in corporate is like i work on this project for like months and the impact is negligible because i ship some button somewhere versus, you know, I bet it is different than Netflix. It is, it is. But it's so funny that you're saying that because when I was working on Apple Maps, I worked on that report a problem button and the screens behind that, you know, like that one button and the views behind those, those were the ones that I owned, right? And I was like, oh, I was in a team of like, what was it back then? On the Maps app, just the UI, 25 people worked on that. But that's a lot. Um, but that doesn't even cover like everybody who worked on like, a navigation underneath it, like how the mapping should look like. It was like, we had an entire building. So it was huge, right? But at Netflix, I mean, I worked on the brightness slider and the speed control and the lock control. And like, when I started, we were, I think only 10 people. I mean, we have grown since then, like we're, we doubled in size, but it's still every one of us works on a customer facing feature um, and something like bigger it's not anymore like oh can you just like i don't know move that button a little bit to the left and to the right it's you actually work on things that go out to millions of people and i really enjoy that it's so great <laughs> i i can absolutely relate to the fact that when you build something and you know that folks use the stuff they're like yeah you're talking about that one you know the slider the whatever the volume slider the brightness slider if you're talking about any kind of experiences that you build, you know people are using them. It's a completely different feeling versus something you know buried in the setting screen where nobody ever sees it. It's a, yep. it's a good approach. And something that you also called out <laughs> is in your career, you had mentors and you were keen on kind of figuring out what is the best way to accelerate your career. Tell me more about kind of your your thinking about your career and how do you structure your, I want to say like the steps you need to take to accelerate it, because it's a puzzle for a lot of folks. It's a puzzle to, you know, how do I go from somebody that is a fresh college grad to somebody that becomes a senior engineer, right? Like the, the path seems somewhat, I want to say not opaque, but it's different. How do you approach that? Well, for me, it was mostly trying to find those people that are willing to mentor you, right? And seeking out those job positions where you actually get the time to like learn and that would give you a project that you can grow on. Right. I think somebody once said like, pick, pick a really good manager who's like able to help you grow in your career, but it's also up to you to figure out, okay, what are the areas that I actually need to grow in and what kind of opportunities um, are out there that I can seize? I think, talking with a lot of people helps a lot because everybody has different experiences and they might tell you about something that you are not even aware of exists. Like, for example, looking back, um, working on open source, I met so many different people. I got to see so many different cultures and I realized like, wow, 
everybody has like a unique experience like and that field is interesting i might want to go into that direction um video decoding encoding too technical not really mine so you figure it out along the way i would say i like the approach to intentionality is what i'm hearing be very intentional about what you're seeking out and also talk to people and ask questions and listen to you i don't know podcasts like this when we talk to people that are actually experienced in the field all the work that you're doing it's a very technical field, very complex field. You have to learn a lot and you have to learn quickly. What's your approach to absorbing information and being able to put it in action? Oh man, that's a big one. Again, when I started out, there were only like a couple of videos, I feel like, and you could still watch all of the WWDC videos on mobile development. Now it's so much like, I, yeah, I, usually I only learn like when I need something and then I go into depth. Um, but I obviously know about like high level about the new things that are out there. I um, am subscribed to ISF weekly on Twitter. People are talking about a lot of things. So I know what is out there and what it's good for, but I will not know in depth, like how everything works until I actually will need it for a project that I'm working on. And then I'm diving deeply into it. Before I might just play a little bit with like sample apps just to get a feel for it, but that's usually what I do. But for example, Swift UI has been out now for quite a while, but I haven't yet used it in production as much. We, I know we have some places in the app where we're using it. I, I am not an expert on it. I don't know yet that much about it. If you start applying and you start using projects and you start looking at sample code, I, I really enjoy that approach myself as well because seeing something just documented is not as interesting as seeing somebody building an example application that I can just run and see what it does and then start walking through the debugger and putting breakpoints sending like, what is this variable doing? Like, why, why is this code path hitting? It's, it's a good approach. So basically practice, 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 practice. Yes. And also asking questions, right? I think that's one of the most important things. Like, even though I'm now like a decade into mobile development, I will always ask questions. And I know nobody expects me to know it all. And I think it's just so important just to like, of, of course, try to figure everything out as far as you can get, but don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, so on that topic, do you ever feel that this is something that is not what a senior engineer should do? Because to me, people ask me, it's like, well, if I'm getting to that career level, uh, I should be the one that knows everything. That's, you know, I never feel like I know everything either. Like, I feel sometimes when you get in the room with people, and you're like, I have so many questions that I have zero understanding of this topic. But folks have this understanding that if you're getting a specific career level, you should kind of stop asking questions that you're the one telling people. How do you balance that? I mean, of course, you have experiences, right? Like, I feel like only if you do things, you like learn the pitfalls of certain things, like. But it still doesn't mean that you know everything. I feel like I've just become really, really good at Googling and using Stack Overflow. <laughs> I think that's one of the skills that I acquired. Um, but also like during that time, you just like know, for example, oh, if there's a little bug in, for example, like that brightness slider, like maybe it's just trying to fix the little bug instead of trying to like refactor something if it's not immediately necessary, right? Or you just learn about the the downfalls more of like, yeah, those things that you would usually do when you're a junior where you're like, oh, I'm going to re-architecture things and everything is going to be better. 
it's like, that will not take just two weeks. This will, out of experience, take a little bit longer. I, I remember there was a take on Twitter, I think, from somebody. I don't remember who said it, but basically it's like, you're not a real engineer if you have to Google. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not a real engineer because I Google for stuff yeah. all the time, like every Same. day, guaranteed. Like, And sometimes for silly stuff, I was like, uh, like this convert to string and getting the uppercase like what's exactly the method that i need to use for that like it's okay it's okay to google it's okay to ask questions yes. it's okay to use stack overflow absolutely right and sometimes you just know oh there is this method like at least that gives you enough to like be able to google for it and know where to find your answers right like knowing what to look for is half of the problem <laughs> so <laughs> this is yeah the good approach Another thing that you are doing, in addition to being an engineer, is you're involved with public speaking. Tell me more about that side of uh, your career, kind of what helped you develop those skills? Because uh, as you said from the very beginning, when folks think about engineer or somebody that works in computer science, it's usually very introverted. You don't talk to people. You lock yourself in a room. You write some code, and then you go home. How is that? How did that come up to be? Yeah, so... <laughs> Once I knew that I'm going to start at Apple, I realized like, oh, there are all of these things that I cannot do anymore. So public speaking was one of them. And at the time, I had actually just started to work with Swift in 2014, 2015, when it just came out. So a friend of mine actually like pushed me and was like, hey, there's the Swift conference. You should totally do a talk there. And I was like, okay, I guess before I can never do that again, like I'm just going to do that now. And then I just did a company internal talk first. And like my senior engineers, like who also had given talks before gave me advice. So I reworked the slides. Then I went to a local meetup and I gave the same talk, but obviously the revised version. And then again, I got great feedback and like I incorporated it in the talk. And then I went to my first international conference, Swift Summit in London and had my stomach turn and I was afraid and I was just like looking around. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> but it was really great because um, I had Chris Eidhoff and he gave me a really, really great advice. He was like, Carol, you know, people in this room want you to succeed. Like you don't need to be nervous. Like nobody wants you anything bad. They are all interested in what you have to teach them and tell them. And that was really, really great. And he sat in the front row and I was able to like give my talk and basically share my learnings. And I really, really enjoy that still today, like being able to share my knowledge and help other people like, yeah, get ahead. Sharing the knowledge. So that seems like a skill that should be very common across many engineers. Do you think this is something that somebody that is either thinking of going into computer science or any, again, adjacent fields, because you don't need to be in computer science to be in the in the tech industry. Do they need to develop public speaking skills to be successful? Um, I personally would say no. I don't think everybody is cut out to be a public speaker and stand in front of 200 or more people. But I think you should figure out a way that you can like, you know, share your ideas. And that could be in form of a blog post or a memo or, I don't know, a podcast maybe or any other way, right? Like, But if you want to get people behind your ideas and your visions, you got to share your knowledge in some way. Public speaking, one way, but there are so many other ways. And I think everybody just needs to figure out how, how they want to share their knowledge. 
I definitely know public speaking helped me to um, know how to talk in meetings and how how to hone down on like the whys of why I want to do a certain project and like just communicate it well. And also once you start talking to 200 people or more, I think any meeting becomes very easy because at that point, like, yeah, I'm not intimidated by anything. You know, I've had to learn. <laughs> oh, that definitely helps. It helps so much. And you know what is interesting? When you prepare a talk, you really dive into a topic even deeper because you're like, oh, actually, why does it work that way? And like you dive into all of these different aspects and learn so much when you prepare a talk. I really, really love that. Or after a talk, people come to you and they're like, oh, you've done it that way. I've always done it this way. And I'm usually like, oh, I didn't know about that way as well. It's just so great. It's just this opportunity for me to just like dive deeper into a topic and learn about it. It's great. It's uh, absolutely one of the ways to get feedback and grow. And also, like you said, it's the the sharing of the knowledge because you can get very similar input from folks if you write a blog post, if you write you know, a tweet that looks at something, a specific problem. Don't work in isolation, I think, is the, the meta point of this. is Never, never try to kind of just be like, I'm going to be in my own bubble. Get out in some capacity. Yes, agree. With the things that you're doing, again, we, we talked about through this entire show that there's a lot. There's a lot of experience. There's a lot to learn. How do you balance everything to have a, well, good work-life balance? Because at the end of the day, you know, you can only code so much before burning out, and burnout is endemic in our industry. <sighs> Yes. So definitely my number one priority is to take care of my mental health and like to take time off. And I feel very, very lucky and fortunate. Like I was actually just last week in Tahoe and took a day off snowboarding with some friends. Um, but I'm trying to pick the times when it's okay. Like talk with my manager. I'm like, okay, this is the time when I'm going to take off. And I'm very, very grateful that not only does my company understand it? But they also like encourage us sometimes to take times off. I know, especially during COVID, we got an extra two or three days here and there. And then we had some weeks in August off, which is just really making it normal to take time off, I guess, and to take care of yourself because they know only if you take care of yourself, you can perform your best work, right? So really understanding that only if you're in a good mind space like or headspace, you can do good work is, I think, the foundation for it. It's so, so important to focus on the well-being because a lot of times folks think that you can marathon nonstop and you can just, you know, I'm going to code all night. I'm going to spend all night as to build this out. It's not sustainable. Like that just does not work. As somebody that has gone through the cycles, it just does not work that way. And it's also not good for the team if you are like the main person and then all of a sudden you crash and you're just gone and you're not available anymore. It's so much easier if you take off a week or two here, give the team a chance to like figure out how to work without you, you know, and like share knowledge. Um, and then you come back and you're back for questions again that they started to have in those one or two weeks. Like it is, yeah, so much better if you just take off a little bit instead of like burning out one day. And I think that goes to the Netflix's ethos when in the handbook, it talks about we are a team. Like, don't be a hero. Nobody's expecting you to do everything by yourself. You have people you work with that are just as smart, just as talented. Rely on them. Ask for help. Honestly, yes. I am so grateful for my team. And 
it is it is a team like it's not that you have people like going against each other or something like I can rely on each and everybody everybody helps each other out if I have a big like load of work we're gonna work together and balance it out like I can go to one of my colleagues and be like look I have this other project going on but I also need to finish that do you have capacity to work on this and they're like of course and I do the same thing for them and that was something that I that I missed when I was in a smaller company to have this great team and everybody is an expert in like a different area and I can just go to somebody and be like, hey, John, like, I want to make this screen more accessible. You're the accessibility expert. Can you help me with this? And he's like, of course, let me take a look. And not only does he take a look, he sometimes goes over and is like, hey, I added all of the accessibility for it. And I'm just like, so grateful. You can be an expert in absolutely everything. I know that for a fact no. that I rely on a lot of people to ship good products. And I have never seen any good company, good product that you'd say there's just this one person that locks themselves in a room, coded up, and like three weeks later, we have a good product. It's a team. My next question in this conversation is if you look back at your career, if you look back at the many challenges that I'm sure you've encountered along the way to get where you are today, what were some of the unexpected ones on your software engineering journey and how did you overcome them? I think one of them was mostly being often underestimated. Um, when I started out, I mean, honestly, I get it. Like when I started studying computer science, I wasn't really into computer science. So somebody was like, oh, don't take this personally, but you're going to drop out. And I was like, uh, no, let me take that as fuel to like get through these studies. And when I was at a couple of startups, one of my bosses was like, oh, I don't think anybody of our like company can make it into one of the fan companies. And I was like, oh, let me show you. <laughs> so I always use that kind of like as fuel um, to just like really push through, be better and like really like have a good career um, and just like break, I guess, stereotypes of young people basically not getting where other people think they can go or yeah. <laughs> um, another one was basically like the systems that you're working on was very interesting and challenging in a way to learn about them. Like what I mean is if you're in a big corporation, there are certain like hierarchies and ways how you can level up. Right. And just understanding how all of these things work. Right. And that then helped you overcome like how you can get projects done like okay who are the people that I need to talk to um how can I get to the next level oh I need to find a project that basically qualifies me for the next level that were definitely some challenges for me especially when you come from a different country where like all of these things work differently right it's the the aspect of different flows as we jump from company to company from one location to another location that adjustment period is brutal it is hard to learn stuff, and especially fast and when folks expect you to deliver and say that, yeah, by the way, there's a project we're shipping, right? Like you you, you can't take a year to learn this whole thing out. Very true, yeah. We're getting to the end of our show, and I have just one question with you know the sea of valuable advice that we talked about. If you look back at your career and you think of you know somebody that is listening to this thinking, I want to follow in your footsteps. I also want to become a developer that's building mobile applications for a big company like Netflix. What's your unconventional advice you'd give this person, this uh, unknown person, 
about your own experience that maybe you've learned through your career that is not something that I don't I want to say like conventional, right? Like because if you read a lot of blog posts about engineering, it's like follow your dreams. What's the opposite of that that uh, you want to recommend somebody? I mean, for me, it was always like, which is not typical for a senior software engineer to step back and see the big picture. Like, how does what you do today, this week, this month, this year fit into what this company is trying to achieve? Because I feel like you get so lost sometimes in the details of like, oh, I'm going to make this animation a little bit nicer. And I want to re-architecture this code and make it nicer. But you're taking then like a lot of time to complete a feature, whereas you could get it done earlier and get it into customers' hands and maybe start working on another feature that is driving up customer support calls, right? So stepping back, looking at the big picture and how your work is actually impacting um, the entire company business model definitely helps a lot in progressing in your career and progressing in general. And this is not something that's isolated to managers only because we're talking about things that folks believe that are not really true is that, oh, my manager is going to focus on a strategic thing. I'm going to focus on execution. No, you should understand why you're going in the direction you're going. Yes, exactly. And it motivates you also so much more, right? To get your work done if you connect the dots and understand where it all fits in. And it also helps you understand, like, where should I actually prior to prioritize? Like, what what is um, an area that I should spend more time on? Absolutely. Helps prioritization, helps understanding, and it helps you to map out where you can learn more. Well, and exactly. on that note, this has been a fantastic show. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your insights. This has been very enlightening. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.